Uh, Joe, you're here still? I am... Um, I brought up this color book. It's the same book, I believe, that I held up earlier, but there are no more green copies. So I think you had eight of those green ones, Joe, out there, if I counted correctly, and those are all gone, and there's several more of these. If you did not get one of these books, please do um, go by that table and get, if, if you'll read it, grab one of these books, and uh, you, you'll want to read it with a highlighter, so when you go through it another time, like I do, you'll want to uh, be pointed right to that. And so... Uh, what we're going to do is have about a half-hour session in here, and then we're going to be done. So you can go home and lunch plans or go out to eat. I'd encourage you, if you'd like to invite somebody to come out to eat with you, this is a good opportunity. We're going to meet back here at 2 o'clock, and I hope as many of you as possible can come, and we're going to have some more of these truths just kind of cemented uh, in um, our hearts as Joe teaches. He's going to open it up for group participation and maybe for some of you that's scary, but you don't have to speak if you don't want to in front of the whole group. But we're going to learn some things this afternoon, 2 o'clock. And so I'm going to turn it over to Joe at this time. There's a book coming out, I think, as well, or a handout. It is now. Okay, thank you. Okay, for those of you who weren't here yesterday and uh, so forth, uh, Brad and uh, Gordy have a syllabus and you know what, that syllabus I wrote just to have on weekends like this, and we have to be really flexible. You can imagine this fall, I've been, this is the most stable, largest church I've been in this fall. I've been in church plants in Phoenix, where we had three different locations for what we did. We had to borrow buildings. I've been in revitalization churches where we're coming back from almost nothing. And so we, uh, <clears throat> you guys have been a great blessing for me. Next week I'm in my home church and then the next week I'm in Fort Wayne. But this has been the most stable, resourceful church I've been in this fall. And so these, uh, I have to be flexible. So therefore, you can't just start with this syllabus and go through. We have to pick and choose what we're going to cover in any given services because of structure. So that being said, um, those of you who didn't get a syllabus from yesterday, you can take this and... Uh, I will give you the page that we're going to start with. We're going to start on your page 10. You'll be on page 10 of your syllabus. And you keep that. Pastor Jeremy uh, will have all the blanks or somebody here in the office or something will have all the blanks that you need if you need to fill them in at a, at a later time and you didn't get them on the weekend. This is, a, this is an action session here, and um, I'm sorry, we have a clicker somewhere. Here it is, I think. Yes. Hi, I just love these things, and people who have them all ready for you, it just makes it such a blessing. After the Lord um, worked in my life individually, then I was in a place at the at a couple other churches, but I got to Calvary Baptist Church in Danville, Illinois, actually where I met Pastor Jeremy, and God blessed us with a great move of revival. And I realize in some places, in some settings, the word revival is not welcomed like it used to, but I actually then traveled with some of the revival teams and shared my testimony and helped. But as a pastor, now guys, get this, as, if I were here as your pastor... I would be living by what I'm telling you because um, for me, 
It's all about a stewardship of the lives, the facilities, resources, and the work that God is doing in the midst. And so I would be very careful about shepherding you. Uh, It just so happens that after 50 years of pastoring in one way or another, God has released me to be able to go and do this just because of what he taught me. But I found ourselves in 1985, God came to our church, I won't give you all the stories in the book, with a great move of God. It was totally unexpected. I knew it was needed, but didn't know how to get there. And God sovereignly visited us and did a great work. And so then you have to understand my heart. After that great meeting, which lasted seven and a half weeks, I, I asked the leader, how do I follow this up? How do I... Because sometimes people look at what you call a reviving as just an emotional high, right? You know, great singing, people go in the prayer room and so forth. And they, they say it's just emotional high. I didn't see it that way because it's like the Spirit of God was doing things that only the Spirit of God can do. You know, marriages were being brought back together. People were repenting. Some of our core people actually came to know Jesus. And there was just a, it was just a work of God. But I wanted to know how to follow this up. So we worked hard for about two and a half years and had another revival team come. This time we invited them to come at the recommendation of the first person. And they came and we had another three and a half week revival. And those folks, you might be familiar with this, but do you remember Dr. Erwin Lutzer at Moody Church? Do you remember him if I said that name? Okay. So then his brother, Harold, is the head of what that time of the Canadian Revival Fellowship in Canada because in 1971... There was a great move of God in Canada. Irwin wrote about that in the book Flames of Freedom. I think that book is out of print. I have a few copies left, and you can probably get it online or something. But the Canadian Revival Fellowship team, Ralph and Luce Cetera, actually came to our church, and we followed that up. But then we got done with that great meeting, and I asked Ralph and Lou. By the way, they're 86 years old now, and they're my dear friends and mentors and uh, They were twins, and they just loved Diane and I, prayed over us. But I wanted to ask, how do I follow this up? Because a pastor, we we, we just have, we're in the trenches, right? As a church and pastor, we're in the trenches, and it's normal body life with the needs of a church family. And so they introduced me to Oliver Price, who became my mentor. And I don't know if there's any blue books left out there or not, but Oliver began to be my mentor in prayer And he challenged me to have our church become a praying church. So that's where the whole idea of prayer came from in my life. It was a follow-up to what God had done. But I began to ask myself the question, and this is important, and it's in your syllabus. The question that I was asking myself is, how can I let Jesus build his church, which for me was Calvary Baptist Church, and still maintain responsible leadership. Because it wasn't just like, like this. God's going to do it. You know, just take your hands off and do nothing. So I, I always had a sense that there should be some responsible leadership. But how could I cooperate with Jesus as he did that? And if I were here with you, I'd do the same thing. This is not a sermon for me. This is a way of life. And so I found in the scriptures and both Old Testament and New Testament seven stewardships of the life and activity of God or Jesus or revival. Seven stewardships that he called 
upon um, his people to do. A scripture that I might reference at this particular point, and it's not in your syllabus, you should be on page 10, and um, the watch and walk, WW, that's in the introduction, you, you don't need to, you can look at that later. The question is, how now should, for instance, Calvary Bible walk with Jesus together? We've met with Jesus together in prayer, now how do we walk with Jesus? And I've referenced Matthew 4.19, Mark 1.17, and you know those. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And I love the Mark passage because it says, Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And most churches are very concerned about evangelism. And what happens is that we just focus on evangelism when really, if we'll focus on the Lord, He will, he will break us and motivate us and show us how we can become, become fishers of men. But the scripture, and you might want to write this down because it's not in your notes. I just want to give you the reference. I'll read it quickly because um, I, I have 19 minutes to review 31 years here. I have 19 minutes to review the entire section 4 of the book. Just is going to cover what we're going to do in about 20 minutes here in Sunday school. So here's my verses, and this is, this is Joe, this is me with these verses. Paul said, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards, say stewards, say it out loud, stewards of the mysteries of God. Fifty years ago I had no idea what that meant, but now I do, a little idea. I find that as a pastor and as churches, we are stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of a steward that one be found faithful. I am doing what I'm doing at this stage in my life just as a steward of what God has given me in this understanding of the mysteries of God. So, the question you have it there on your page how can we let Jesus build his church and still be a responsible leadership and congregation? That's a good question for you to ask. It's a good question for uh, the leadership, whatever your form of leadership is here, to be able to mulling over. So in these next uh, few minutes, I'm going to click through and I'm going to give you all the blanks so you can have the blanks. You can discuss them later. I'm going to share with you the seven stewardships of what I believe uh, need to be practiced, and they will be then stewarding the life and activity of Jesus. So here we go. How should we walk with Jesus together? Seven stewardships of revival. There's our question. So we go. Why does it quit? Go ahead, uh, Sharon, just advance it for me. The first one is the stewardship of grace. And here's our sentence. The life and authority of Christ invades the church through divinely orchestrated acts of grace. Go ahead and advance that up there, uh, Sharon, if you have it. God, guys, listen, God has invaded Calvary Bible with grace. I could stand here right now and I won't do it, 
But I could stand here right now and I could probably list 12 to 15 traits of grace that I see in this congregation just by being in the hallways with you, being in discussion with you, watching and seeing how things are going. I could identify all kinds of grace. And the point that I want you to get here is that our stewardship, what is the stewardship here? Go ahead and advance that, Sharon, Miss Sharon. Our stewardship is to observe carefully, um, is to observe carefully and cherish what God initiates. Now, here's where your Bible knowledge will come in handy. And these are going to be almost like silly questions, but they're silly questions on purpose. Okay, here you're going to go. Whose idea was it to create the creation? Whose idea was it? God. Whose idea was it to destroy the world with a flood? Whose idea was it to raise up Noah and his family in the ark? Whose idea was it to choose Abraham and make of him a great nation? Okay, you get the idea? God is always the initiator of all kingdom activity. Now I think, if I'm correct, Pastor Jeremy, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Calvary's been here for 177 years. Is that correct? Did I get that number right? Okay, so you, you could actually say, who initiated Calvary Bible Church being here in the first place? Whose idea was that? What was God's? Whose idea was it for the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came? Go ahead, say it. It was God's. And so therefore, whose idea was the church? It was God's. So the point that I think every, every church needs to realize that God is initiating grace activity in every church if we will look for it. We have a, sometimes we get in the habit of being in a program or doing it the way we've always done it. Or yeah, we have Sunday school, we have morning worship, and we have music and all of those kinds of things. We just, we just look at what we've always done. And we don't look around at the individual amazing pieces of grace that's all around us. And I believe that's a stewardship that we need to do, to observe and cherish. I used to get all my leaders around me and ask this question, where do you see God working in our church? I would ask you that. I wish we had time to do that. But I would, I would ask you, where, where do you see God working in our church? And the idea is, let's find out where God's working and join Him. We have a tendency to think that we have to create everything or we have to come up with these creative ideas of what's supposed to happen, how it's supposed to happen. But if we will just look at what God's doing and join Him in that, it's amazing how ministry just takes off. And like I like to say, which I got from 1 Corinthians, then we minister by grace and not by grudge. Pastor Jeremy and I were talking last night at dinner and he was relating to me that on many occasions he finds pastors that are just discouraged. You know, just discouraged. God's not working in our church. I have been very few places where God's not working. It's just that we stop looking. And uh, so without being embarrassing any of you in any way, I just want to challenge you on this first stewardship. Slow down, stop, and look. And I've watched over the years as maybe someone comes to our church and maybe they were very ragged when they first came in. But you know, what I have determined is that every person who comes through the doors as a pastor, everybody who came through the door was a gift of grace. There's a gift of grace. There's a young couple. And sometimes we've had wolves 
They've come in for the purpose of maybe destroying the flock or dividing the flock. I've even found that that's a grace because it teaches me how to do warfare. It teaches me how to deal and confront. And I have found no matter what God brings in my life, it's an opportunity to find Jesus in the middle of that and develop in my own life. And so when you look at all the graces, people who come through the door, people who have talents and gifts, people who have callings, somebody comes through is real ragged, maybe tough background, all of a sudden God does a work in them and then they say, I want to go back to the people that came up like me. And so then you get ministries to homeless or maybe drug addicts. There's a church real close to us now that just had one of their teenagers go into a deep problem with drugs and they prayed and God brought him back out and he got restored. Now he and his dad and a bunch of guys in our area, just six miles from our house, they're starting an RU program, which is a recovery program for addicts. And it's going great guns. And, you know, it's just like some of the guys are hunters and so they have a beast feast. And then all of a sudden, I even find myself, when I meet a, meet a guy that's a hunter and maybe just had a call yesterday about a wife while I was coming in here, a wife called and they were having a fight and so forth. And it's her husband that's unsaved, but he loves hunting. And so I'm putting the hunters together with him. And so it's grace. It's grace all over. It's just grace and grace. You have musicians that, are, that bring grace. You have students. Some of you, we have a very educated church here, and your education can be used for that. It's just grace all over the place, whether we come from rich or rags. And that's where we start in this stewardship. Are you with me? We have a tendency to look at the cup being half empty, don't we? We have a tendency to look at all of what we're not. But I believe there's a great joy in looking at what we are. Starting with our identity in Christ and then all that He gives us. So let's, you got the idea here, so let's, let's just keep moving. I'm going to trust you, Sharon, to advance this. And so the next stewardship is faith. So once we see that grace and what has to happen is that we understand that the life and the authority of Christ is embraced then by definite acts of faith. Rather than being ticked off, upset, out of order because I've got somebody walks in that is a little bit different than they should be, instead of doing that, I need to embrace it. Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation and I'm going to take you out of the Ur of Chaldees and you're going to go to a land that you've never been to before and you're going to have to travel a long, long ways and your people are going to go down into a country and live there for 400 years and Blah, blah, blah. And, and easy. it would be easy for Abraham to say, no way. That is so totally scary. But instead of he believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. And so we have to do the same. Habakkuk, you know, Habakkuk was a person who said, God, why aren't you doing something? Because he just watched Israel sinning. And why aren't you doing something? God says, I'm going to do something. That was chapter 1. And God says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to bring the Chaldeans and they're going to kill everybody. And Habakkuk says, I didn't have that in mind. You know, and then in that great chapter in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, a verse that's repeated three times in the New Testament, the just shall live by what, guys? Faith. Faith. The just shall live by faith. And so, is that real or is it not? Do we take the good times and the bad times as a grace? Yeah, well, we embrace it by faith. What happens when you embrace the bad times? When you embrace the bad times, you grow stronger. And you come out on the other end and you say, grace brought us through this. And so the second stewardship is the stewardship of faith, and that is to mix faith with everything. 
the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, you know, in church leadership, you guys, I'm sure you get in meetings and what are we going to do about this and what are we going to do about that? Well, the first thing you ought to do is look for Jesus somewhere in this. And when you do that, great things happen. I like the little statement down there. um, Faith in Christ's movements of grace is a birthplace of ministry functions. You see, birthplace of ministry functions. The boy who was so addicted to drugs and was so disappointing to his dad you know, that church went to prayer for him. He was willing to repent, go to a rehab. And now God's just birthing an incredible ministry. Very needed right there in our area because of that hardship. Okay, let's go to stewardship number three. That's worship. The life and authority of Christ continues by regular acts of worship. This is the stewardship of worship. You guys do a great job in here with what we do, the music on Sunday morning. Thank you so much. The pianist, the flute, everything. You got some beautiful instruments. I felt supported that I was singing. I just was at a convention on singing uh, with the Gettys in uh, the Gaylord in Nashville, and they have a little white book out called Sing, and one of the, one of the things that they really go for, they ask you, is your congregation singing? And I was standing here on the front row, and I could hear you singing. It was so beautiful. It was a declaration that we love Jesus. But here we're not so much just talking about the music part on Sunday morning. Our stewardship in worship is to maintain a first love relationship with Jesus through scripture-based adoration. You have the references there. And our action, if I were your pastor, I would constantly remind you that worship is a lifestyle where we do all things for an audience of one. You know, some of you guys and gals are in the marketplace. You don't have, you're not on a church staff. You're out in the marketplace. You're in a factory. You're in Tina's place. She's organizing things. And so you're out there. But when you are doing even that marketplace thing as a worship to an audience of one, God sees it and he's pleased because we know that we live for that reason. I, am, I just want to make this one statement, and that is, I noticed in the chapter uh, 2 of Revelation where it talks of the church at Ephesus, that a church, now this is important to hear, a church can be doing everything right, but still be in trouble. Because the Lord wants us to do what we do because we are madly in love with Him. You know the church in Ephesians, they left their first love. And I put a sentence there in the bottom of your syllabus that says, First love happens when we find in another what is desperately needed in ourselves. And there's nobody that we need more than Jesus. Therefore, he becomes our first love. Okay, so we've had grace, the stewardship of grace. We've had the stewardship of faith and now the stewardship of worship. The next one's warfare. This one's not so fun. Warfare. The authority and sufficiency of Christ is tried and proven in the oven of adversity. And I might tell you, this is where a lot of people get sad because, and churches get sad, because they have warfare. Every church has warfare. You can't think of a movement of God. You can't think of one 
in the whole Bible, Old or New Testament, where great leaders and servants of God and people of God didn't have some kind of warfare in getting to the place where God wanted them to be. Israel was promised the promised land. Canaan was going to go. But there was warfare, and the giants were big, and they had to depend on God. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament would go out on missionary journeys, and every one of those journeys he faced war. And so it is with us. Satan despises this place. He hates this place. He wants to do everything he can to destroy this place. He starts with our minds. He goes to our hearts. He goes to our hands. He tries to stop this and stop that. And so warfare is just a part of stewardship. But there's something that happens during warfare. And that is, watch me now, the cream rises to the top. The Apostle Paul actually said it's it's necessary that uh, heresies are among you that those who are approved may be made manifest. And I have watched over the years that when our church would go through hard times, there would be just these amazing, faithful people that maybe were kind of just tucked away for a while. But they just stood right there and believed God and went through it. And so the, the responsibility for that is, we're going to see in the next stewardship, but this stewardship of warfare, and our stewardship is to fight and agonize. That's what Paul said to Timothy, to agonize and be a good uh, soldier of the faith. A good steward of revival must not be surprised when adversity comes. And I, I have experience, believe me, first-hand experience, I pastored, the last church I pastored was a church that was involved with a great revival that we had in 85. But because warfare came after the great work of God, they all decided that that revival was nothing and it was a big uh, bummer. And so they just bombed out. And that church went from a healthy church of 450 to where when mom and I walk in, Mama T, my wife and I walked in to take the church, there was 38 people left. And they were shattered and broken. I'm happy to say that because of putting into practice what we've taught you here, the church is now healthy with three pastors and running about 200 and a quarter with a wonderful youth group and great missions outreach. And so God took that thir- those 38 people and rebuilt them uh, and to where they're a thriving church today. So warfare is part of it. Okay, Calvary, say it with me. I'm going to say warfare is part of it. Here we go. Warfare is part of it. Individually, family, and church. In fact, in the book you'll read where, uh, I forget the name of the gentleman so I can quote, he said, Satan is God's uh, enemy that teaches us to use our sword by fencing him. And so um, there's a place for warfare. That's stewardship number four. Number five is what we call the stewardship of choice or discipleship. Those people who rise to the top that are faithful, Disciple them. The authority, reality of Christ becomes clearly focused when we count the cost and make a choice. And there's people in here, people in this room, people in this church. They are faithful. They are faithful. So what do we do with the faithful? I referenced 2 Timothy 2.2 there. It's one of my favorite verses, mode of operation in my leadership. Our stewardship is to disciple the faithful who will teach others also. And watch my hands now. If Calvary is going to grow like this in number, and we believe God for it, 
We've got to grow like this in shepherds. We have to have more and more men and women that are like shepherds amongst the flock. It's not just about one person teaching. It's about, one, about the multiplication of shepherds. They may not all be speakers. They not, may not all be teachers. But they can be shepherds watching out for the flock. And we have some amazing godly men and women here. And uh, you are rich with that. I was in a church in northern Michigan and it's, it's just shattered. And everybody there came from a hard background. They're brand new Christians. And the pastor doesn't have... Many of you could pastor some of the churches that I go to. So you're rich. I had a goal. I might say this to Pastor Jeremy. I had a goal that I would have one shepherd for every 20 people. When I look at all the shepherds' potentials here, you can have a massive congregation. So, discipleship. It's a big deal. Okay, stewardship number six. That discipleship happens, first of all, within the body. It's a safe environment. I have a daughter that's, or excuse me, a granddaughter that's finishing her degree in nursing. And so she goes and shadows other nurses in hospitals and they give her a protected environment where she can start doing those tough things. Michael, where are you? Um, you know, and she's just learning. I asked Michael the other day, because he's a retired nurse, I said, how were you at IVs? Because I've had, to, how many have had to take one of those dreaded IVs? And they say, there's going to be a little prick. Oh yeah, I know, it's going to be a little prick. You know, and so, but her name is... Uh, Lily and Lily's in a protected environment with her class and they go and she's learning how to do things in a protected environment you know what I found at the church is a cool place to practice stuff and so when we're making disciples we can start making those disciples within the body and so our stewardship is to equip the saints within the local body to live and serve in harmony to edify one another in love and by the way all these scriptures, I'm out of time to show you all these scriptures. They're studying themselves. But I love Wiersbe's quote here. He says, ministry happens when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels for the glory of God. And when you guys get good at ministering to each other, then the last stewardship becomes a natural byproduct. And so let's do number seven, Miss Sharon. The number seven is that this discipleship happens within the church and then the grace of God uh, penetrates. The good news of the resurrected life of Christ penetrates the darkness of the lost world when the church overflows with the witness and gladness of God's grace. Next year I'm going to do a personal website. By the way, all these teachings and everything are in different videos and blogs and so forth on our, on our website called Paradigm One. The card's out there and the references are in your notes. You can go on Paradigm One and see all these things in one way or another. But next year I want to start a personal website where I don't do anything but just talk about gospel issues because I meet a lot of people who need to know Jesus and some of them, I don't have time. I'm on a plane or I'm traveling. I don't have time to draw it all out for them. And some of them are intimidated. But I want to have a website where I can be on that website uh, explaining the gospel and the fullness of the gospel. 
And all of that is simply because I want friends to know the same grace that I've had in Jesus. And that's what happens to Calvary. You won't have a problem with evangelism because you'll want to. You know, if you go through this, you look at the grace. Wow, we embrace that by faith. We keep on worshiping, living for an audience of one. And then there's some warfare. We came through that. We learned how to use our sword. And now we've got these people that are being discipled and that we're teaching them how to do stuff in the church. And then we're just, we just love Jesus for what he's done for us. And we see it all displayed. We can't wait to go tell somebody. Teresa and I are always trying to figure out who can we have over? Who can we reach out to? How about our neighbors, our cowboy neighbors? And, all? and it's just, it's a natural evangelism becomes a natural byproduct of the life of Christ that comes by grace. 31 years and 19 minutes. Not too bad. Okay, you guys get the ideas. You can go from here. Let me pray with you and Pastor will come and dismiss you. Thank you, Lord, for these minutes to share these ideas. You know where I've been with you all, all, all this time. And uh, I would pray that Calvary could be refreshed catch a vision, and go forward for your glory and have grace to do it. Lord, we're a lot better off than we think. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God Amen. You get your mic still hot, Joe? Is he still on? Would you share that story about, did you invite some folks to come to your church and some of, several of them showed up oh. on one day? Well, Real you know, in, in evangelism can be discouraging, right? And you're reaching out and, and so forth. And you have to understand... I'm just a member at my church. I am no longer on staff or anything. They do send me out. I have an office there. That's great. But uh, you work and you try to get them. No, no, this one doesn't come. This one doesn't, this one doesn't come. Then all of a sudden, last Sunday, we had 11 people that we took to church that just showed up. You know, And so I, I said all that to say, don't be discouraged. Keep reaching out and believing God and praying for grace to reach your neighbors and friends. And so... That's yeah, my I just love hearing that. I, if, if you're inviting people and they've not come, I drive by my neighbors and I say, maybe this Sunday is the coming Sunday. Some of you got a text message from me. I sent that to some of my neighbors and said, you know, maybe you would be encouraged by our special uh, friend that's going to be here this week. So keep in, encouraging your friends, inviting them out. Um, and folks do pop in for the first time uh, here every week usually. We're going to take